Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It was already cloudy on that mountain even before the presence of the Father overshadowed it. Now at the the beginning of our reading, we heard that it was six days later when Jesus took Peter and James and John up that mountain. What happened six days before? Why does it mention that? See, six days before was when Peter had first made his bold proclamation of who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Ding, 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 ding. Great moment for Peter. Great moment for Peter. But then straight away after that, Jesus goes on to tell Peter and the other disciples what awaits him and what awaits them. He says that he is going to be suffering and rejected, that he is going to be killed. And you remember Peter's response. Peter says, no, no way, Jesus. Don't you remember? This is not how it goes with messiahs. You are going to be victorious. You're going to come into town with a great parade. Everybody's going to acclaim you. It's going to be wonderful. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. For you do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men. Jesus lays out in stark detail for Peter and the other disciples what it is that awaits him and what it is that awaits them. So that now, six days later, as they're making their way up the mountain, you can just imagine them as they are hiking one step after another, wondering where Jesus is taking them and still dwelling on and ruminating on those words of the Lord Jesus. That it's not going to be a victory parade that is awaiting him. But instead, for their teacher, for their master, for their Lord, it's going to be an ignoble suffering and death. And for them, for those who want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, it's not going to be striding from victory unto victory, from the great acclaim and approbation of the world. But instead, if they are going to follow in the footsteps of this Jesus, he says that, no, that's going to mean suffering and rejection and death. The disciples are not above their teacher. You yourself are going to be called upon daily to take up your cross and to follow me. That's what it means to be my disciple, Jesus says. And so I imagine the disciples, as they are making their way up the mountain, following in Jesus' footsteps, seeing the storm clouds gather. And in the midst of all of that cloudiness, wondering how in the world... Can we go forward? Maybe you know some of that own, some of that cloudiness for yourself these days. Where to start, right? There's the clouds of fear and anxiety that are just constantly beside us and behind us. That kind of low-grade anxiety Not where it's just straight up boiling over, but it's that pot that you know at any minute it could just go. We feel it every day. You know, open your phone in the morning or you check the computer just waiting to see what horrible thing has happened next. And there's the clouds of of confusion and uncertainty as we are trying to make sense of our world, trying to make sense of our times, and who do we trust? 
Where are we going to go? Where, where do we find some news? Because in every headline, we know that there's some kind of bias, whether it be the neat and tidy narratives of the corporate media, whether it be the clear-cut conspiracies of social media. Everywhere you look, it seems like there's some kind of deep fake awaiting you, and you're wondering, how am I supposed to know what to do? How do I live amid all of these clouds of uncertainty and confusion? And not only that, not only that, but even in those times when we are confronted with truth, Sometimes, sometimes we choose not even to see it, not to want to see it. There used to be this bumper sticker, maybe you still see it around once in a while, issue obfuscation. Remember this, issue obfuscation, which is a fancy way of saying, as I heard someone else put it uh, similarly, don't choose to be confused. Do not choose to be confused. There's a lot of clouds out there in the world causing us to be confused and uncertain. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes things are perfectly crystal clear and yet we choose to be confused because we do not like what we hear. Those times when you know that a relationship is not going anywhere, that indeed it needs to be broken off, but you just don't want to do it. When you recognize that you find yourself in some line, some vocation, that this is not what God has called you to, and yet to change would just be too uncomfortable, too uncertain. Or when you find yourself reading some truth, some hard truth in Scripture that you know are straight from the mouth of God, but ah, that's going to force me to change my lifestyle. I'd rather say that, well, there's lots of shades of gray here. We choose to be confused. There are plenty of clouds in our lives as well. And like Peter and the other disciples on the mountain, we find ourselves wondering, how can we go forward? How can we go forward in the midst of all of this cloudiness, all of this fear and darkness and doubt, amidst all of this uncertainty in the world without and in my heart within, how can we go forward? with all of these clouds. As Peter and and James and John are pondering these things, finally they make their way up to base camp. And in a moment, Jesus is transfigured before them. Now transfigured, that's probably not a word you use in day-to-day language, right? What are we talking about when Jesus is transfigured? Well, it's like the veil has suddenly been taken off. Jesus, as the Son of God, the preexistent Son of God, who had dwelt at the right hand of the Father from time eternity, when he came down into our creation, he stripped himself of that divinity and came down in our humanity, taking on the very form of a servant, of a slave, the Scriptures tell us. He lived in that vestiture before us, but suddenly now, at this transfiguration, It's like the veil is lifted. Now we see Jesus in all of his glory. Here is the Son of God as he truly is, with clothes. I love this detail from Mark. With clothes whiter than any bleach could ever get it. There he is in all of his glory, shining out like a beacon, like a lighthouse through the fog. And not only that, but then paradoxically, we get a cloud that creates some clarity. It's the cloud of God the Father as he settles on the top of the mountain and his voice booms out louder than any thunderclap. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. 
In other words, Peter, James, John, all of you other disciples who are going to follow in their footsteps, listen to this Jesus, look to this Lord, because he is the image of the invisible God. Because here in his face, in his shining, glorified face, now you see him as he truly is. Now we have the light of the glory of the grace of God shining in the face of the Lord Jesus. And if you cannot understand anything else, if in the midst of all of these other clouds and all of this other uncertainty and confusion and fear, know that there is one bright spot, one place, one anchor in the storm that you can look to, that you can lean to, that you can find your source of strength and stability in. It's here in this face the face of our Lord Jesus. And it occurs to me that in that moment, the Lord has not answered every question for the disciples. Well, wait a second, what, what, what awaits us? And what's that going to look like? And, you know, can we shake up the eight ball and find out, you know, am I going to suffer? Am I going to die? Is this going to be hard? God doesn't answer every question for them. But he does answer the one big thing. And that's enough. That's enough amid all of those other clouds to have that one source of clarity gives them the strength, the resolve to go forward. Maybe you've been in that place before. Maybe you're in that place right now where you don't know how you can go forward, where you find yourself paralyzed with indecision and uncertainty, just wondering what's next. I think of how that was for a couple of friends of mine, really one of them, for Catherine and Bill. Catherine and Bill were this wonderful, loving couple. They'd been married more than 50 years. And a couple years back, during this week, it was Valentine's week, they decided they needed to escape from the cold northern climes and to go down south to Arizona. I lived in Arizona for a year. It's like half of Michigan and Minnesota residents actually live in Arizona, I think. So they were going down to have this uh, wonderful trip together, kind of a marriage getaway for this older couple as they get, went down to Arizona, warm up a little bit. But while they were down there, Bill, who had been healthy and really hadn't been dealing with any kind of, of medical issues, suddenly finds himself feeling unwell. He gets into the hospital and within 24 hours, his body had succumbed to sepsis. They don't even know where it came from. And just like that, he was gone. And Catherine found herself utterly bereft. It was like she was frozen in time. What in the world am I going to do? She had utter whiplash trying to, to deal with and, and to work through all of the grief and all of the despair and all of the uncertainty, the questions that she had. She was wondering, how am I going to go forward right here? She was paralyzed. But she recalls this moment when suddenly she had that clarity that she needed. She'd been afraid even to go through Bill's bags. It had all happened so fast, and it was kind of like the volcano in Pompeii, where it was like everything was just stuck right as it was. But she said, you know what? I need to try and move on somehow. She grabs Bill's suitcase, and she opens it up. And amid all of his, his clothes and you know, his dock kit, all that kind of stuff, she finds tucked away something from Bill. 
It was this beautiful handwritten valentine that he had prepared for her. Just like he had prepared every year of their more than 50 years of marriage. And I won't tell you everything that it said in that valentine. It's not mine to share. But suffice it to say that when she read it, she was reassured of Bill's love for her. And even more than that, of his desire for her to keep going forward. And in that moment, she received that clarity. It didn't answer all the questions for her. It didn't tell her everything that she needed to know, what was going to be awaiting her. But it told her that she could move. And I think about this day, Transfiguration Sunday, and the vision that we receive of our Lord Jesus. And I think it's a similar gift. It doesn't answer for us every question that we have about what, what is awaiting us in the next week, month, year, or beyond. But what it does do is it gives us this moment, this vision of clarity amid all of the cloudiness. It shows us this is our Lord Jesus. He is the one who is here and who is here for us. And as we come to this table, as we receive the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus, it's like a valentine tucked away upon this altar. So that as you received these gifts, that you might know with certainty deep in your heart that here Christ is present for you. And while he doesn't promise that everything going forward is going to be easy, he doesn't even give us every answer that we want, he does promise us this, that he will be there with you and for you. That he is going to lead you by the hand as we go forward in faith. That we are not able to look through as through a clear window in this life. We do look in a mirror dimly. But there is Jesus with you and for you. The most glorious vision that any of us could ever hope to have. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.